Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of 1982, where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape celebrating the 40-year-old airwave sounds of our youth. Ah, and it feels good to be back. You know, last week, last week was our first, our first uh, episode of the, the new season, season three. This week, I feel more confident. Like I, I, I don't feel as rusty. So, and the, you know, this subject, 1982. It, it's uh, last week's episode. I thought was very good, and I'm really excited to to add to it. How you doing? Good, good week. Yeah, yeah. You know, springtime. It's yeah. hard to do poorly in springtime in Ohio. It's, oh. uh, very true, yeah. That's the one thing, if I ever do move further south someday, which I no doubt will, um, I wonder if I'll just be a snowbird-er because there is something about, well, of course, the fall The fall is just my favorite time of yeah, year. Yeah, you don't want to lose the foliage. But yeah. there's something that you appreciate, right? They're that old adage, you know, you don't understand the pleasure if you don't have the pain. Um, spring, we appreciate spring in these parts, and of course, anywhere in the north, uh, more than people in the south. Yeah. When, you know, you just had those gray, dreary days and, you know, especially in early spring when it's cloudy and one day it's 70 and you have this false hope and the next day it's 40 degrees. Which has been happening a lot lately. Yeah. Yeah. But to have this consistent, um, you know, nice weather is the way to go. So, yeah, I'm doing very well. Yep. No, it's it's been a it's been a pleasant spring, but we have had some ups and downs in terms of, of temperatures. So. Well, I guess I start this time. You do. All right. Yeah, you are first. Well, this next song is, is t- the title, at least, has become my motto as I get older. <laughs> I think my whole life, um, one of the adages I tell people, young people, is uh, when you can reach the point where you just don't care anymore, um, you've arrived. And I don't mean that in a way where you don't literally care about anything. Yeah, you're not, but talk- I mean, not talking apathy. You, you right. care about the right things. Right. And you quit caring about the wrong things. Um, and I find as I get older, that it becomes easier and easier to do. But uh, this song was uh, from a crop of songs written by the great Phil Collins. He's not a sir yet, is he? He should be if he isn't Sir I, Phil Collins. It I don't think he good is. On no. him. But um, Phil, man, we've talked a lot about Phil on this on, on the show. Um, he, of course, we've talked about how he went to a nasty, through a nasty divorce, a nasty divorce where his wife cheated on him with a home decorator, and he wrote a crop of songs, uh, both for Genesis and for his solo records, about this very painful experience. And this is another one. Yes. (laughs) And this is when he, uh, this is the second solo album. Um, This song is from uh, Hello, I Must Be Going, and the song is called I Don't Care Anymore.
This song actually went to number 39, so uh, in fact, there's a song on my list here that didn't even hit the top 40. I have one that didn't. That, I, that I'm going to talk yeah. about, but this one barely cracked at the top 40, which I guess it makes sense to me because um, it's very similar, in the similar vein of In the Air Tonight. Um, and In the Air Tonight, of course, at the time, I don't know, it wasn't, I don't think it was a number one. I don't know that it charted as well as people think I, it did. I don't know that it charted at all. It's, it's become I, very iconic I'm now, sure, I'm sure, of course. I'm sure it did. But yeah, it did. I mean, yeah. Miami Vice was the first to really kind of put that song in context. and it, Yeah, look it up. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, it was used in The Hangover much later, and um, it's now just, it's a song that every generation is very familiar with. And, of course, that one was also written about his ex-wife. Um, this one is very much in, in that vein. Huh. Hit number 19. 19, in okay. In the air tonight. Hit, yeah. hit 19. But, uh, but Phil, of course, with the prog credentials, um, his solo albums were the same way. Uh, you know, he was writing so much material at this time, and, and Genesis wrote as a band. And so, kind of like the Beatles had that problem, Fleetwood Mac, you name the band, right? Where you had multiple writers, and everyone tried to get as much on the record as they could. They wanted their material. Right. And I think um, Phil just realized he was putting so much stuff out that you know, all of it couldn't go to Genesis. And so, he, he, did, he didn't go solo, I don't think, because he had a problem with Genesis, because he continued to obviously oh, yeah. record for another decade or so after this. It was just more of, hey, there's too much stuff, and we have to let you know, Tony Banks and Mike Rutherford have their say as well. And they, they wrote a lot as a group. Yeah. Too. And so these solo albums just came out with, they were so rich in material. And some of it was very jazzy. In fact, there's a song called um, Behind the Lines, which was on Genesis Duke, which is a very Genesis prog sounding song. And he does a version of it on this, I think it's this record, um, where he does a very jazzy version of the song. Yeah, he does. Um, but then, you know, with the prog stuff and the pop stuff, he always, he had this kind of darker stuff too. And In the Air Tonight, like I mentioned, and, and I Don't Care Anymore is right along. Um, that path. Yeah. Well, hello. I must be going. That was my, that was my first Phil Collins album. It, it was actually my introduction to Phil Collins. I, I didn't know, you know, at nine, I, I had heard Genesis songs. Um, I had, I had heard in the air tonight. I didn't have a, a face to go with the name Phil Collins, and none of that meant anything to me at the time. And I remember I, I was watching MTV early days of MTV, and a video came on with some funny looking bald man who was performing and there were clones of him you know right. they were all performing every uh, every instrument and, and singing backup vocals and um, it was it was his uh, you can't hurry love video and which is the first single off this album exactly right. and I was just so taken aback I mean I I loved it you know I say I say a funny bald I, I am a funny bald man so a funny looking bald man myself so I I don't mean that with any disrespect, Phil. But, but I, I was so I, I loved his take on the Supremes, you know, in, in that particular video. And I went out and bought the entire album on the strength of that one cover. And I didn't know what to expect. And yeah, the, the, I mean, the album that and Face Value before it, and then of course No Jacket Required. Those first three albums, they were huge, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't care anymore. It 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 
it is a dark song. You're not wrong, and it, and it has the I mean, very again very percussion heavy. Well, that's the thing. One thing that distinguishes Phil Collins from Genesis, um, a lot of it's the horns. Yeah, uh, there were only two songs I think from Genesis that used horns. I think Paper Late and um, that was another song. Um, what am I thinking? Paper Late and it was off of Abacab. Um, gosh, I can't think of it now. But there was a huge, huge single, and I just, it, I'm blanking out now. Um, that's all? No. No, no, um, no, no. No, from Abacab. It was right before oh, that Ab- album. Abacab. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Abacab. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to have to look it up now because it's going to bother me, so everyone's going to have to wait while I. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll talk while I'm looking it up here. But um, yeah, so it's distinguished by, by, by the horns, which were not really used in Genesis, and then the really percussive, darker tunes like this one here. Yeah. Okay, I'm well, gonna look and, up. and Phil is a drummer. Um, in fact, you and I we didn't go together, but we both went to the Genesis concert uh, here in Cleveland. Not too. Long no ago. reply at all. Oh, okay. No reply at all. Anyone listening? Da, 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 da. That's oh the yeah, horns. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Um, no, I was saying you and I we didn't go together, but we both went to the Genesis. Concert, yes, yes. And it it oh, it was so painful. Yeah. To see him in the in the condition that he's in. I mean, he's he's lost. vocally vocally he's he right there. He, yeah, he sounded fine, but he couldn't play yeah. drums. He, well, he couldn't stand. He couldn't stand. I mean, he just he is the the. I, I don't know exactly what the condition is, and I just know he's lost. He's old. Well, yeah, but he he suffered so much nerve damage. Yes, that yes. It, it's you know it, it's left him just incapacitated, and and it's. You know, to, to see him, I and mean, he was having difficulty holding the mic right. at times. Um, yeah, this song earned Phil his first Grammy nomination. I always love the fact that, like, Grammys and, and, and chart position has no bearing on the, the actual staying power of that song, right? You look back at a lot of those, and you're like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this beat that? And um, the fact that In the Air Tonight didn't win a Grammy to me is just criminal, right? Right. Um, but this was actually nominated for uh, his first Grammy. It lost to, any idea? Uh, this would be for male vocal performance. Eighty-two. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to face palm when you say it. Michael Jackson's "Beat It." Oh, okay. No, that's so that, again not a bad choice. No. But you know, in the air tonight, a year pr- pr- prior to this, in '81, should have. I would think when record of the year, that's such a great song. But anyway, um, I really miss this phase of his career. I believe it was his best by far. Um, he finally become a, a confident vocalist. Of course, he um, was not intended to ever be a lead vocalist. He, he's considered widely as one of the greatest rock drummers of all time. Um, that's that's really his talent is is his um, drumming. Um, after uh, Peter Gabriel left in, in 75, they had a whole crop of new tunes and uh they just needed someone to, to lay down a vocal for the demos, and so Phil um, agreed to take on that responsibility, and they tried out a plethora of different lead vocalists, and finally the band came to Phil and just said, you know what, we kind of like what you did on the demos. Yeah. And he became the lead singer. But you can hear, like, I think the first album he's on might have been Trick of the Tail, and you can tell that it's Phil Collins, but he just hasn't quite gained that confidence yet as a lead vocalist. And and this is the prime where he, he does, he finds his voice, he finds himself, and just, you know, later on in the career, we've talked about this, um, he becomes more and more adult contemporary. Um, you know, he writes for Disney c- cartoons, which, again, is fine. The guy, you know, <laughs> he can do what he wants to artistically. But um, I liked No Jacket Required. And, and even, uh, what was the one after that uh, that we um, liked a lot in high school? It was uh, But Seriously? Yeah, I well, um, think it's a solid album, you know? Oh, yeah. But nothing really matches this this period of these first two albums. Correct, yeah. 
Um, and, and really, you know, I, I would have a hard time because I, I, I was reading an article not too long ago where they were looking at all the solo uh, albums of, of Genesis art, you know, band members. And um, they were ranking them. So, by Peter Gabriel, got the number one. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Face Value was number two. And I, 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 I don't know, I struggle with that. I didn't know if I would flip those or not. I love so. I mean, the strength of Peter Gabriel's three huge hits on that album, or four hits, actually. Um, I don't know. I think so was his response to the fact that Phil had a lot of early success commercially. And, of course, the early Peter Gabriel albums were great. And you had oh, all sorts are. of songs that are you know still around today. Um, but I think commercially they weren't quite as big as, as some of Phil's stuff. So that was... That was Phil, or that was uh, Peter Gabriel saying, "Hold my beer, I can, I can make a, a hit album as well, you just think, as well as you can." You think that was partially? I think that was the, his motivation. The title of the album as well. Oh, I don't know if it had to do. I mean, I think they all got along. I don't think there was ever any, any animosity. I think just yeah, Peter Gabriel wanted to do his own thing well, for a while. But. Well, you know, the Genesis, the the last few reunion tours before before this one. I mean, the the two that happened prior, they've asked Gabriel to rejoin them, and he just flat out won't. Although I did read. Was it Rolling Stone? I think it was Rolling Stone. Gabriel was in attendance um, at their last concert in London. Oh, that's cool. Um, because he, he didn't take the stage, but he was in the audience, and the, the camera kept going to him as he was actually singing along with the band on stage. It was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know what I was thinking, because I'm, I'm looking now at all the, the albums and, and all the track lists, and yeah, they, they represented every album in the in the discography but at the time oh, maybe I stepped out for a beer or something I, I at the time I, it felt to me like one of the albums was really underrepresented but I don't see that that's true so mm-hmm. I stand corrected um, but yeah I don't. it's 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 an angry song and uh, but I like it yeah. I like it a lot no it wasn't it's, it's again I, I just as a drummer uh, as a percussionist I just I love when Phil I mean there, there's no greater guilty pleasure than the drum break in in the air tonight. Of course, you got to air drum that, you know. But but I don't care anymore. I mean, just from the from the moment the song begins, I mean, the the, the percussion is just so it, it's it's so dark and ominous. You know, it's just it's nice. He used a nice mix of obviously acoustic drums, but then also electronic drums right. and, and keyboards. Yeah. Um, but not oh, an overbearing sense. I mean, just like Genesis, a nice flavoring. Agreed. Of yep. electronic music. Yep. Yep. All right, that's my first choice. Excellent choice. Um, oh, love Phil. All right, so I love Genesis as well. But my first pick, um, this was their second uh, U.S. release, the second single from the album Kissing to be Clever uh, from 1982. Uh, it's called Time, Clock of the Heart, and the band is Culture Club. Must go 
like their previous, the, the lead single, uh, which was Do You Really Want to Hurt Me, uh, that and this, Time, Clock of the Heart, uh, they both reached number two. Um, neither one made it to the top spot. Until Color, uh, Color by Numbers was the second album. Karma Chameleon, was that? I had to be number one. Yeah. 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 yeah, that one went all the way. Um, but um, yeah, this one, it just, it could not, it could not get to that top spot because Michael Jackson just... Yeah, he dominated. He, he wouldn't. He he had a stranglehold on the, I the mean, top spot. People would say it's a crime that we're not featuring any Michael Jackson on a 1982 episode. But again, that's the point. The point is, and if you didn't listen to Side A, the point is some of the lesser known uh, songs, songs right. that you'll know if you hear them, but you know don't get talked about or played as much anymore. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and you know it's funny because I, it took me a while to to kind of warm up to Culture Club. Um, there was something about their sound, and it had nothing to do with. Boy George and the you know the looks at the time, although in the eighties that was shocking. Oh, transgender you know. was not a thing. No, it, it was very yeah. I mean, you had it with with some of the alternative, like David Bowie, obviously was very right. androgynous. Yeah, uh, but this was like on a whole new level. It was. Um, I, I just there was something about their sound. Really, what it was for me was, do you really want to hurt me? I hate that song. To this day, I hate that. When we did our question episode, I think you included. Of it. Of course, I did. I love that and song. That was like the one song that I just <laughs> I wanted to run screaming from our, our recording studio. I, I, I've i never liked that. It just... It's a, that reggae, it's, it's little a, soft it reggae is, thing. It is, but it is the ultimate earworm. You know, I, I hear Do You Really Want to Hurt Me and I'm singing it the rest of the day. I, it's one of those that I cannot get out of my head. So on the, on the strength of that first single, I was like, eh, you know, I, I really was, was not uh, impressed and I, I kind of tried to distance myself from the band. My mother... I, I never could explain this. My mother loved Culture Club. She actually went out. She owned every one of the albums. She bought this on the strength of that first single that I could not, you know, stand. And she, partially it might be because she played the album constantly. My mother loved Culture Club. And I heard, do you want to, you know, do you really want to hurt me constantly? Um, but the second single, this one, this one I love. I mean, it is just, it is so... Soulful. Yeah, it's, there's a know, lot of soul oh, yeah. in Culture Club. Um, you know, this one, Time, Clock of the Heart, it, it kind of provides a, a, provides a, like an answer to that proposition. You know, just, just give it time. Um, you know, Boy George explains in the lyric, time doesn't always make a relationship work, right? Uh, staying together might make you feel like you have a, a real love when really all you've done is log some hours as a couple. I mean, it's, it's not a happy song. Um, Time is precious. It's too valuable to waste on something that isn't working. Um, so, I mean, just, you know, it, lyrically, it's, it's... It's like Overs by Simon and Garfunkel. Very much, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, great compare. Great song there as well. But, yeah, this, I mean, it's just a very... To me, it's very profound. It's very deep in the context of, of what he's saying. And, of course, he was going through a breakup with one of the one of his bandmates. I forget... Uh, I believe it's the bassist. Um, yeah, yeah, and I forget the name. Um but you know this was so big on the adult contemporary charts as well i mean it it's, it hit number 2 on the hot 100 but it hit number 1 on the adult contemporary format and mtv had it in constant rotation um i i remember this though i think i really i remember time clock of the heart more for its video and i don't even know why i remember the video because it wasn't particularly good um I don't know if you remember it. Basically, it, it gives us like this inside look at the band. It, it begins with a book 
that has a clock on the cover and and you know the band is seen performing in the studio they're seen sitting in a living room sharing coffee uh, and there, there's a clock shaped cake while they're watching themselves on TV um, it was nothing particularly exciting and it was not disjointed like so many of the videos that we're talking about um, but I will say this there, there was uh, one thing that Boy George was not happy about at all um, backing vocalist for the band her name was Helen Terry she she was made up to look uh, well she was she was made up as, as a rather frumpy cameo appearance in, in the video she was a curler wearing housekeeper who serves them the cake um, and that whole scenario had really bothered Boy George. In an interview with Rolling Stone, he said, I, I hate the fact that Helen Terry is cruelly dressed, looking like a molly mop. I'm slightly upset by how Helen Terry is presented in this video. She was an equal to the other members of the band. It was a really poor decision made by the director. So he wasn't happy about that. But I didn't find a lot of information on Time Clock of the or Clock, uh, no, Time <laughs> Clock, clock of, of the Heart. heart. <laughs> It's it's just one of those songs that I, I I think people have forgotten about. I mean, everyone remembers Karma Chameleon. Everyone remembers Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? But this was a huge hit, and it's one that I never hear. So I threw it onto the list. Was excited to include it, and yeah, do yeah, it. The, the second album, the first album was Kissing to Be Clever. The second was Color by Numbers. Oh, yeah. In addition to Karma Chameleon, it's a miracle. Uh, you also had um, Church of the Poison Mind. Oh yeah. Yeah, they had a bunch of singles. Yeah, they did. They did. Um, but uh, yeah, no stories to tell here really on this one. I, I didn't find much of my research. So. Good song, great song. All right, well, my next one is unlikely for several reasons. One, it's be kind of a hair band, kind of. I was really surprised <laughs> when I saw this was on your list. Uh, I also found it did not hit the American charts at no, all. I did not. No. But this fits perfectly to what we're talking about. MTV brought about lots of songs that um, may never have hit or wouldn't, wouldn't end up hitting on Billboard, but became a, a staple in the homes of many yeah. uh, Americans. And um, the video, do you remember the video for I this do. one? Yeah. It was like an insane asylum or a prison. I don't remember, I didn't go back and watch it. Uh, I, I specifically remember the album cover, um, and I, I don't know if it was their guitarist that was actually the one, I, I believe it's also replicated in the video. Um, he's, he's done up. Like it's got like these fork things that pull. It's very like Clockwork Orange-ish. Yeah. Um, it just looks like a you know a mental institution gone bad kind of you know. <laughs> it really does. And I believe that's the guitar solo. It's the same image from the cover, if I remember correctly. But what for whatever reason, you know, MTV. I, I love the video and the song, even though it's kind of glam rock. It's very poppy, but it's hard. It's definitely hard rock. It is. I I wouldn't say it's glam rock. In fact, we haven't even. We're talking about the Scorpions. Scorpions. Yeah. No one like you.
see the scorpion I never really considered scorpions a hairband um and they certainly fit the the part but I mean they they were to me much more respectable you know much more they they first of all I mean they they were European they were they came over and the, the, you know to me they didn't have that attitude they didn't have the flash they didn't cause all the you know the controversy you know no one's drunk and driving and killing people I and mean, it, it you didn't have all the all the baggage that poison and Cinderella and Motley Crue and you know the scorpions just they were just hard rockers well and there so, may be a reason for that and I didn't did not know that or not know this until I kind of looked into them a little bit uh, into their background for this uh, this week's episode they were actually a band that was formed in 1965 and they're they're a German band right and so Think about it. In 1965, they were a hard rock band, but they continued to kind of evolve with the times. And so when kind of the... Okay, so think about early 80s. And and it's weird. I liked all these songs. So it wasn't until later that I kind of despised the hair band thing. But you had Runaway by Bon Jovi. You had Round and Round by Rat. You had Photographed by Def Leppard. Those are all songs that I loved. And that was Dave giving us our alternate playlist. (laughs) (laughs) That was deliberate. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> and and I think um, the Scorpions um, kind of saw that music, at least this genre of, of rock, was kind of you know working for right. these American artists, and so they kind of molded their sound that had evolved since 1965. And so there's a large history there with that, this band. See, that makes sense because I I just never got that same feel. I mean, you know, a lot of people they mislabel a lot of band. I mean, if if the if the band had long hair, then people I think falsely associate them with with hair bands you know van halen was only if they use hairspray well okay fair 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 enough but like van halen was not a hair band no you know no no. um guns and roses was guns and roses was not a hair band uh scorpions i i'd never felt was a hair band aerosmith uh when you know a lot of people throw them into no they're not no they you know this is a band that started in the mid-70s we're talking motley Crue, cinderella yeah exactly yeah and but but so many people they do they misrepresent glam rock I wasn't surprised so much that you included scorpions because I again I don't consider them part of that that hairband um, actually the hairbands in 82 really hadn't even come about that's what I'm saying it, it, they, I um, mean rat was definitely on that trajectory but right. they really what the genre hadn't been established yet exactly um, I was just surprised that you included because it, it was so much harder than what I would expect from you oh I love this song oh, it's a great song yeah. I love the song but you know I look at the rest of your picks and you know you're giving me Michael McDonald and Paul McCartney. And, I'm eclectic in yeah, my taste. Yeah, that's I, I 1982 just, eclectic um, chart I, topics. I was really impressed. Um, you you actually went very much in the in in the vein of rock on yeah. on your list. I, I was yeah. going down and so many classic rockers represented. I was impressed, but yeah, no, I just I I was really pleasantly surprised. Well, I, I don't think you this. can underestimate the influence of Kiss on these bands as well, right? Yeah, because true. Kiss primarily 70s um, in their heyday. And by the time the early 80s came around, they'd kind of become, they kind of dabbled with the disco thing with I Was Made For Loving You and the Dynasty album. And then they came out with uh, Unmasked, which was really, really poppy. And all of a sudden, they saw these other bands like Rat and and Def Leppard um, and Scorpions hitting with the same kind of music and the same look that they had, minus the makeup, in the late 70s. So that makes sense that a few years later, Kiss would abandon the makeup and come out and then they had a string of hits um heavens on fire and, yeah um well and, you know kiss i mean early kiss no early kiss was just so much of it was 
you know, just a, a dramatic performance. Um, but I would say Kiss was a hair band. I mean, once they once no, the makeup came yeah. off, yeah, yeah they, they, they became they they became they tried to. It's weird. They tried to assimilate into a sound and a, and a culture that they themselves started. Yeah, it was it was. But it got left behind, and they wanted to get back in. Yeah, it was. And then they wisely realized, hey, we just need to become a nostalgia band like <laughs> so many others. Yeah, and they've had a great career of that since. But well, and you know, you have. Uh, they, they, they've not always been good, uh, Gene Simmons especially. They've not always been good to their fellow bandmates. I mean, they, they've written off so many performers and booted so many. Well, there's two sides of every story. Yeah, there are. I mean, there are. Yeah. Ace Frehley couldn't get off the sauce and the drugs. I mean, and that's true. Um, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons are notorious dry businessmen. I mean, really, they see it yeah. as a business, and and they didn't party. They saw it as a as a job. Um, they sang it. It's kind of like Jimmy Buffett. They sang about partying, but they didn't really participate as much as you would think. That's true. Um, yeah, Ace Frehley. I I understand. You know some of the the discontent there, but I guess it was more just Peter Chris. I, I always thought that he got such a yeah, especially with Beth. They were they were really irked that his first writing credit yeah. was their biggest. Well, and, but, starting but he song. just he always just seemed to be so. I don't know. I he he got so little respect, um, and you know. Most, I would say, early Kiss. Most of my favorite songs from early Kiss are Peter Chris songs, right? Right. And it's you know, but well, he had that love of early rock and roll. He did, yeah. and it it shows. I mean, oh my God, I could listen to Hard Rock Woman. If you or, or Beth Hard Rock, <laughs> I could listen to Hard Luck, hard luck Woman like yeah. all day. Well, I remember, I think it was seventy six or seventy seven. They released four solo albums simultaneously, right? And um, Peter Chris's was always my favorite, and uh, they had a lot of like he had a couple covers. I think he had Splish Flash was one of the covers that he did. And so, yeah, he, he liked his early rock and roll. Yeah. All right. Well, that's my second one. Uh, it was not a, a hit. Um, later on, of course, they had hits um, like uh, A Hurricane and Winds of, Winds of Change, which was a response to what happened in their country with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, that one was big. Um, no, I, I, I loved it. I was so glad you included it. Um, it's actually, it's going to be kind of out of place when we sequence because it's the hardest song that we brought to the table this this episode so but it's I, I love it fantastic um, alright so uh, my next pick this is another one of those two hit wonder bands we always talk about one hit wonders um, in fairness really there are so few one hit wonders because everyone defines that in a different way you sure know? and you know especially especially among British bands because the British bands may have one hit in the U.S., but so many of them have a string of hits, you know, back in the U.K. It's one-hit well, wonders are... One-hit wonders, I'm guessing, came about in the 60s when it was very common for a new and up-and-coming band to cut and release one single. Yeah. And on the strength of that single, then they might do a second single, and if they had enough for an album, eventually they would become an artist. And so there were a lot of bands that had one single, and it went to number one, and they just never... Yeah, disappeared. <laughs> they disappeared. That's a true one-hit wonder. Right. But yes, yeah, so when we talk about one wonders now, we talk about songs by bands that we heard of, and like you said, they might have a huge following, kind of like Kim Wilde. Yeah. Uh, over in the UK, and we never hear from them again. Yeah. Well, and, and Adam Ant was another one. I mean, he he's had so many hits you know but I mean like Madness Our House you know Madness oh yeah they, they were the whole huge in the UK Scott thing yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there's so many I 
Now there are a few. I mean, Dexter's Midnight Runners is is you know, come on Eileen, they were a one hit wonder. Um, but they had a huge following, and people still you know flock flock to them when they when they come back in concert. This particular artist, my next artist, uh, it's a band. They were a two hit wonder. They had two huge hits, uh, one year apart. It's the Motels. Yes. Um, they had Suddenly Last Summer, which is uh, 1983, so it's not the song that I've used. And in 1982, they had Only the Lonely. I'm really embarrassed to tell you what I thought the song was about. Now, granted, I was 10 years old. Only the Lonely? Okay. And I don't, I don't hear very well, okay? okay? But I thought the song was Phony Baloney. Phony <laughs> <laughs> Baloney. And I remember listening to it in the car. I'm like, Phony Baloney. I'm like, why are they? That's weird. Why would you write a song about that? So, yeah, I'm an idiot. The Motels, they spent the late 70s making a name for themselves uh, in the L.A. music scene. Um, and their first two albums, they were released in 79 and 80. Uh, they met with critical acclaim, and then they cracked the charts in America and Australia, but uh, they, they never got much traction. All for one, uh, four spelled F-O-U-R, all for one, uh, was their third album, and it, it contained their breakthrough hit, Only the Lonely. Um, it was written by their their lead singer, Martha Davis. Is the American? Um, Motels, uh, yes. Okay. They're, yeah, that's an American band. Um, Davis has, has basically said that Only the Lonely was one of those songs that was sitting on her guitar waiting for her. Uh, it literally kind of wrote itself. And, and it, it was a song about empty success. It came about while the Motels were experiencing critical acclaim. They were traveling the world. They were riding in limos. And yet Davis... She she said she was sadder than she had ever been. She she was really you know diagnosed clinically depressed. Uh, she she was in a horrible relationship and she had not yet recovered from her parents' deaths. Um, so the contradiction of those two worlds that that's where only the lonely came from. That's where it lived. So it was it was just very bittersweet. Uh, a few years prior to the release of All for One, the Motels. Uh, short on funds, they actually shared studio space with the Go-Go's hmm. uh, at The Mask, which was a, a buzzing punk hangout in Los Angeles. And I guess um, 
In the book, MTV Ruled the World, the Early Years of Music Video, Davis says that um, the two bands used to, to rehearse at the exact same time in the exact same room. So I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around how that how that would sound. Uh, she said that they used to rehearse together, same room, under the Pussycat Theater uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, she said it was a, it was a famous punk rock place, whatever. But you know they rehearsed they rehearsed on one side of the room, the Go Go's were on the other, and they would run through their tracks at the exact same time. So I don't know how they managed to hear themselves or keep keep time with with you know the the two songs going at once um, but the motels they got signed first and uh, then uh, the Go-Go's I guess um, told the motels we're going to move our equipment to your side of the room so that maybe we'll get lucky and get signed too and they they literally moved their equipment to the other side of the room and within two weeks they, they got signed as well oh, so, nice um, but the release of All for One, it coincided with the start of MTV, and it, it led to videos being made for Only the Lonely and, and Take the L, which was a minor hit from the same album. Um, All for One went gold. It was powered by, by this huge hit. And the very next year, as I said, the, the Motels came out with Suddenly Last Summer. They, they made their, their appearance on Saturday Night Live, so they had made it. Um, the video from this one, um, it, it really it garnered... Martha Davis an American Music Award for Best Performance in a Music Video, and and that's that's the story of the Motels because it's another one of those examples that as quick as they they you know rose to, to critical acclaim they they just they disappeared suddenly last summer came out the following year and that was it they had other things to do yeah I guess so <laughs> but but definitely I mean in this is what we we use you know as the, as a classic example of the two-hit wonder that they had two hits and done so but only the lonely i, I love both songs both of their hits but only the lonely i love love this song so i i this was the first one that i wrote down on my list for 1982 and it it was it was the one song that was guaranteed so i love nice. her voice very good yeah classic all right well last week i talked about how um i mean two of the biggest bands in the 70s were the eagles and um Fleetwood mac and i talked about how um Stevie Nicks broke away, did some solo stuff. I'm going to talk about Don Henley and how he broke away from from the Eagles. And I always felt like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, you know, kind of ran the same circles, right? They really did. All that Southern California stuff. And what I love about this solo album from Don Henley is that he really did not try to recreate the Eagles. He really went out on his own. He he never has, really. I mean, his solo work is so different yes. in, in sound and vibe. I'm, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. no, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm going with Dirty Laundry, which um, begins with, you know, this synthesized uh, intro. So very, very different.
It was from the album, his debut album, his debut solo album, I Can't Stand Still. The song went all the way to number three. Um, apparently, nothing much has changed in 40 years, right? Because on Don Henley's first solo single, he uh, satirizes the news media with the song, supporting the maximum that if it bleeds, it leads. And we know that it's only gotten worse since then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love this turn for him. You know, it, it's just he wasn't afraid to to branch out. Uh, he worked with Dave Kochermeyer, of course, and he was a lot of the probably the reason why he branched out into these different um, stylings and uh, music and so forth. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those few songs where where lyrically I was right with it um, even back then. And a lot of it at ten years old, I didn't understand some of the the metaphor. But I remember my dad even pointed out he, he loved the line: "The bubble-headed bleached blonde comes on at five. Yeah. She can tell you about the plane crash with the look in her eye. It's interesting when people die, right? Give us dirty laundry." So that whole idea, which is not necessarily a new thing, you know, journalism's been that way to some extent for a long time. But it just was cool for him to kind of write a song about that. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um uh, dirty. I, I remember Dirty Laundry, you know, upon its release. Don Henley, I don't know, his solo career for me, I mean, it's been so prolific. But, you know, the the early albums, this and Building the Perfect Beast, I, I, I remember buying them for the singles, you know. In fact, I don't know that I've ever listened to either of those two albums straight through I don't know that I could tell you a lot of the non-singles are you familiar with The Month of Sundays that's a great song yeah. that was a non-single yeah. Yeah. yeah that one I know um, but that all changed with End of the Innocence oh yeah that's... that album I mean, and that's late 80s of course so it, I, it has no bearing but that album just rocked my world I mean it was it was just I feel like it it was so perfectly timed for me but um yeah, no, the first two. Um, yeah, Boys of Summer too. It's well, bo- yeah, huge. Boys classic. of Summer, much better than the Atari's cover. <laughs> much, much. But it's better. cool that they paid um, it is. homage to him. Um, yeah, not enough love in the world. I loved that one, and all sh- I, when we did our sunset dance, grill. So, yeah, oh yeah. When we did our dance episode last season, I almost used "All She Wants to Do Is Dance." I think we did. I think I used it. Did, did I? you use it? Maybe I left it off. I know uh, it was one that was in contention. Yeah, but I'm I, pretty sure I used I, it. I was going to use it, and then I, I just there was something about it, and I, I just it, it's more political than it is. Yeah, it is. dancing. It's, it's very you know, political. it's very political. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's. I've always respected Henley because he does not recreate the Eagles. You're absolutely right, and and Fry. Fry has had his moments. Oh, well, he sounded like yeah. But he's much more egolesque. He is, yeah. I, Except for his Miami Vice. I was going to say the Miami <laughs> Vice tunes um, are are very different. Um, remember that song later on? You belong to me. That oh, was just um, the Eagles. Yeah, you belong from to Thelma me. From Louise, I believe. Well, that was part of you, part of me. Part of you, part of me. Yeah. Okay. Now he did have a no. It wasn't. Well, well, what is that? Either song? way, that was a very that period was very egolesque. It, it really is. Yeah, I mean he. So much of his solo work is, and then you have Joe Walsh, which you know he he just does his whole th- his his own thing all all together. His solo work sounds much more like. Well, of course, he was an entity before joining yeah, the Eagles, so yeah. he had his own career with Barnstorm and, of course, the solo stuff. And speaking of Joe Walsh, um, I don't know if you recognize, but that's him playing um, lead guitar in the solo on Dirty Laundry. Yeah. That's yep. Joe. And so I love that. Much like the Beatles when they went solo, right? They would invite. In fact, a lot of the solo Beatles records were the Beatles minus one member, right? It wasn't uncommon for John Lennon to have George Harrison and Ringo Starr come into the studio and perform on a track, right? Um, so I like the fact that he had Joe come along and play on this track. Yeah. No, absolutely. Joe, I, oh, I love Joe. I mean, he's a local boy, Kent, Ohio, but he, uh, 
You met him though, didn't I you? I did. I got to meet him. Yeah. yeah. He, um, kind of jealous on that one. <laughs> he was uh, pretty drunk, but well, I got to meet him. Yeah, I've, I've heard your story. <laughs> so that in itself would have been uh, just a pleasure to to see him with what was it that he had all of it? Um, blueberry pie filling. Blueberry pie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it, it's a weird story. Yeah. I, yeah but <laughs> the times you've told me that story, I just I, I love it each time. Um, all right. My my next pick. I went with a song by ABC. And this is just a band that I don't even know. If you New wave, if you are not Gen X, I don't know that you know who ABC right. is. But it's it's prime new wave. Oh, it is. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, the name of the song is "The Look of Love." It's interesting because if you look for this song today, it's going to be titled The Look of Love Part 1. But it is really just The Look of Love. This is the original track. The reason it has received that Part 1, uh, you know, uh, sub sub uh, title is because they would not let this song go. I mean, there are so many covers, not covers, so many remixes of this song. It comes from the album The Lexicon of Love. Um, and and the look of love hit number eighteen, um, but you need to read beyond the the title on this one. It's it's not a chirpy love song. Um, it's actually about how to deal with uh, you know love, you know abandoning you, love going away. Uh, ABC lead singer Martin Fry um, he told Uncut magazine that that this song is genuinely about the moment you get your teeth kicked in by somebody you love, uh, and you feel. You feel like, you know, expletive. Not going to say it, uh, but you, but you had to search for some sort of meaning in your in your life. Um, it was a track from the debut album. Uh, the uh, Lexicon of Love was their their debut. Um, it was actually their biggest hit in the UK. It peaked at number four. It also charted. It, it topped the Canadian singles chart. Um, it actually was a much bigger hit everywhere except the U.S. Um, in the United States, their biggest hit actually was a, was a top five hit, peaking at number five. It was When Smokey Sings. That, and there's uh, Poison Arrow. Yeah, Poison Arrow was another one. They always had a kind of a Brian Ferry, Roxy Music they, vibe. They really do, yeah. Um, but yeah, Smoke, When Smokey Sings, that was 87. That was their biggest hit in, here in the U.S. Um, but on the album, the song is listed as The Look of Love, Part One. And the last track on the album is a very shorter ver- version of the song called "The Look of Love" Part Four. So, if if you're asking, you know, what happened to parts two and three, they appeared on a 12-inch single along with others. Uh, part two is an instrumental. Part three is a remix. And uh, Trevor Horn, 
who was also involved with Yes uh, and and the Buggles and the Art of Noise, he produced this track. He also did a remix called The Look of Love Part 5 using a Fairlight synthesizer. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all you need to know. This one is technically The Look of Love, but the Part 1, that, that is not going to go away because they they just would not let this song uh, die. They They kept remixing and remixing, which in today's world... You know, in the, in the in the current state of pop music today, that's not uncommon. But in the '80s, that didn't happen. Right. You know, I mean, it was really unique with what they. they I mean, there were done. there were twelve inch singles where there, they would remix songs for yeah. the dance clubs, but but certainly not. You know, remix after remix after remix. It just right. You know, it was very very new as an idea. Uh, Martin Fry mentions his forename in the lyric, though. He, he when he sings, they they say Martin. Maybe one day you'll find true love. Um, the lyrics were inspired by his real-life breakup. Uh, Martin Fry had just uh, broken up with, with uh, someone very dear to him. I couldn't find her name, but it is an autobiographical song. Uh, Trevor Horn is, is a notorious perfectionist. He insisted that the female voice replying goodbye to Fry in the second verse should be sung by the actual woman in the relationship that had jilted him. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, but I, again, I could not find uh, a credit. <laughs> I, I don't know who that is, but uh, whoever it is that did kick in Martin Fry's teeth, she's singing. She's she's on the track. So I, I found that rather interesting. I don't know why anybody would agree to that. Um, MTV though, they played a big role in ABC's American success, and, and the video for this song was a, a favorite of the network, which launched in '81. The, the video was directed by Brian Grant and inspired by old Hollywood movies. This is one of those first videos that I remember being really artistic, uh, very, very classy and artistically done. Uh, Martin Fry describes it as a, as a cross between an American in Paris and the Benny Hill show, which, I, <laughs> which is actually pretty spot on if you remember the video. Um, but Grant's videos, man, he was all over MTV in those early days. I mean, he, everything from Stand Back by Stevie Nicks to Saved by Zero by The Fix. I mean, he... he he was everywhere. Um, but yeah, I just, I, this is honestly, Dave, this is a song I forgot about. I mean, I, I know ABC. I loved ABC. But when I was looking through the list of 1982, I, I came across this title and I thought, you know, I, I because I went, I went to Billboard's year-end uh, list, the, the Hot 100 for the, the, the year, because you had to find out what songs were released in 82 or charted for that year. I had totally forgotten about this song. And I just... I gave it a listen, and I just, I immediately, I just. That's when I've, I've, I've kind of kept in my '80s playlists over the years. Have you? Yeah, and besides Roxy Music, there's um, you mentioned the Fix. I think there's a vocal similarity, but you know, a more modern band fits in the tantrums. There's something that reminds me a lot about ABC. I don't I, know what it is because they're see not. That. They're yeah. really the same. Fits in the tantrum a lot more soul, but vocally or something. Yeah, reminds I, me a lot of ABC. I could totally see that. I mean, I. If, if, if those listening, if you only know Fits in the Tantrum for hand clap, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're missing out because they they have so much up to offer that it's just, they blow me away. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a good comparison. I don't know why, yeah. Just, yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. What's the Fits in the Tantrum song I love? Is it Money? Is it called Money? Uh, yeah, they, they have... Uh, money, no, Money Grabber. Money, money Grabber. grabber. Money love grabber. that song. Yeah. Wow. All right. Wow. So good. All right, we're good? Yep. All right, so my next one is a performer that uh, everybody knows, Mr. I should say Sir Elton John. And 
Uh, I remember when this album came out, my dad was a huge Elton John fan, and he remarked when the first single, which was Blue Eyes, came out, how it just did not sound like Elton John. Yeah. He used a much lower voice, more of a crooner type type song for Blue Eyes. Um, but this was the follow-up single, and it's a single that you don't hear much anymore. This is a perfect example of a song, like my wife didn't recognize the title, and then I played it for her, and then yeah. she instantly remembered it. And there's a reason for that. He doesn't play it live um, because it is about uh, the death of his friend John Lennon. Yep. And it's very painful for him to, to sing this song. What happened here as the New York sunset disappeared I found an empty garden among the flagstones there Must have been a gardener that cared a lot Who weeded out the tears and grew a good crop Now it all looks strange It's funny how one insect Can damage so much grain And what's it for? This little empty garden by the brownstone door And in the cracks along the sidewalk Nothing grows no more He must have been a gardener that cared a lot Who weeded out the tears and grew a good crop And we are so He and Bernie Taupin were not working together during this era, but Bernie Taupin did come back and write the lyrics for this song. Did he? Yeah. I, I did not. I mean, I thought this was, I, I thought the entire album was uh, Elton John's. Yeah, Bernie Bernie wrote this one, and, and it's, okay. it's a wonderful um, extended metaphor uh, for oh, John yeah. Lennon's life, where it compares him to a gardener um, and how the garden is now empty. And it's from the album Jump Up, which, which is a good album. I, I enjoy that album. You know, I, I always liked Jump Up. It did not do well. It didn't. Uh, it, it it was one one of Elton's first albums that really just kind of tanked. Yeah. Honestly, um, it it was in the top two hundred largely on the strength of the two singles. Right. But, right. But Empty Garden is. Well, and the, the album after this, which is Too Low for Zero, Bernie does reunite right. with Elton. So maybe this was kind of the reason why, because they were both friends with the John and they came together to write this. And so Could they be. decided to Could be. kind of... Well, and Too Low for Zero, that was after he had um, finished his, his rehab for the last time. He was, he's was he been right. clean since Too Low for Zero. So 
that played a huge role as well. But this song it went to number thirteen, so you know it, did, it, it yeah. had some um, chart success. <clears throat> um, you know, like I said, he rarely plays this live. However, if you do want to see it live, he did perform it on Siren Live in 1982. Really? And it was the episode that Johnny Cash hosted. So I'm going to have to go back in the uh, archives of Peacock and, and watch that. I didn't even know Johnny Cash hosted. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> you need to watch that. 82. That would have been, is that, is that the year that it's Piscopo and Crystal? Yeah, it was a, Yeah, it was one of the weak years cast-wise. Yeah, well, but you had some really good musical guests and hosts during that era. Yeah. I wouldn't say that was a weak cast. It was definitely a, a manufactured cast. Right. But um, or they may have come. To me, they really don't get the, I mean, I, it's probably mid to late 80s when they really like when we were in high school they kind of found their footing and Dana Carvey oh, yeah. Dana Carvey and Joe Phil Hartman and right, Phil right. Hartman um, but man you gotta give you gotta give props to Eddie Murphy Eddie Murphy saved yes. Saturday yes, Night Live yes he did because yes, that's actually the original prime time not ready for prime time cast members caught it quits Lauren I mean, he, you know everybody abandoned the show and just let it kind of stand on its own it, it was about it was ready for cancellation right and then here comes this young African American comedian, you know Eddie Murphy, he saved that show. Yep. I, when people talk about you know ranking their favorites of the SNL alum, I, I love Belushi and Aykroyd and Radner. I love the you know Carvey and Myers and Hartman and Sandler for his time there. I, all these you know amazing uh, celebrities that have gone on to great great movie stardom since but Eddie Murphy is the one who saved that show yep. you know Mr. Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood God I could watch that all day um, Johnny Cash I did he not know he that, ever yeah. hosted that is wild and of course Elton John and, and, and John Lennon were not only close um, outside of the studio but they also worked together on a oh, couple yeah. occasions um, specifically the number one song Whatever Gets You Through the Night yeah and, and their deal to, to actually get Lennon on stage. Yep, so. and I believe Lennon actually worked on his version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, too, which was a single in the late 70s that appears on Greatest Hits, too. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. So, yeah, I, I had to throw that one out there because that's such a great song. It just doesn't, people don't remember that one. No, they don't. Hey, hey, Johnny. Uh, okay. Um, now... Now I'm kind of depressed. I, I, lo I love the song, but it's, it's yeah. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's a very sad song. Yeah. All right. Well, my next one, if there is a song on my list that people will remember, um, this is this is one of two, I think. My, my next two are, they have not gone away, um, but I had to include both. This one is by Men at Work. comes from the 1982 album Business as Usual. It was a number one song. It is Down Under. Which introduced um, us to all sorts of Australian terms that I still don't know what they really, mean. Well, I have a, I have a glossary. Oh, good. I, good. I'm going to teach you some of them. <laughs> Take 
you know, realistically, we talk about, you know, how important MTV was in introducing us to, to bands we otherwise would not know. This is a great example. I mean, the Australian band Men at Work, if they were not a presence on MTV, I don't think the world ever hears of Men at Work. I, I, Probably, I just don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um the band was from Australia. Um the lyrics here, um, they were written by lead singer Colin Hay, uh, who explained, uh, you know, in many interviews, that the chorus is really about the selling of Australia in many ways. It's the overdevelopment of the country. Um, it was a song about the loss of spirit in that country. It's, it really was about the plundering of the country by greedy people. And, and you know, ultimately, it does celebrate Australia, but not in a nationalistic way. It's not a flag-waving uh, song by any means he said it's it's you know really much more than that kind of like born in the usa and that's that's what i was going to say he actually has likened it yeah to born in the usa um he's he, he said you know it's a similar song and that there's a lot of nuance missed because people like drinking beer and throwing their arms up in the air and feeling nationalistic when listening to it but he said ultimately it's a song of celebration yes but it's it's a matter of what you choose to celebrate. And he said, you know, white people have not been in Australia all that long, and it's truly an amazing place. And he said, one of the most interesting and exciting things about the country is what was there before, uh, you know, the, the, the British colonization. The Aboriginal presence, yeah. yeah. And he said, the true heritage of the country often gets lost in the name of progress and development. So, See, Solomon, that sounds familiar. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that is actually down under. It's not... You know, it's not the the happy go lucky song that I think so many people think it is. Those have you ever had Vegemite, by the way? I have not. It's I, like earwax. Yeah, not I, that I've ever eaten earwax. I was say, but I'm I, guessing if earwax were to taste like something, it would taste yeah. like Vegemite. No, I've not had it. And here, here's uh, I'm going to reveal my my dirty little secret. I don't ever intend to try it. Yeah. So it, it just you know everything about it just kind of grosses <laughs> me out. Um, I guess, now this I didn't know, Barry Humphreys. Do you know that name, Barry Humphreys? No. He, he's an Australian entertainer uh, who has created many popular characters, I guess, including Dame Edna Everidge. And he was also the voice of Bruce the Shark in Finding Nemo. So, you know, um, that probably is the end that most of our listeners would recognize him from. Colin Hay explained that Barry Humphreys was the influence on this song in so many ways. He said... Uh, Humphreys is a master of comedy, and he had he had so many expressions that we grew up listening to and, and, and emulating. He said the verses were very much inspired by a character that uh, Humphreys created called Barry McKenzie, who was a beer swilling Australian who traveled to England. He, he was just this very larger than life character. So I, I didn't look up you know this character or any kind of representation of him, but I, I do want to do that later and, and see in what ways he inspired the song. All right, a couple of, I don't have all of them, but a fried out combe, okay, is actually Australian slang for a broken down van. Okay. Uh, the lyrics are often translated as combi, C-O-M-B-I-E, but it's actually spelled K-O-M-B-I. Which the video portrays. Yeah. And he said, uh, yeah, the, basically it came from the VW combi van, uh, which was very popular in the 60s and the 70s, especially with surfers and hippies in, in Australia. A head full of zombie. Uh, zombie was a particularly strong batch of marijuana. Oh, I was going to say alcohol. Yeah, no, very strong batch of marijuana, very common in Australia. It was 
floating around Australia, he said, for a very long time, and people called it zombie grass. And then um, Vegemite, um, you know, for those that don't know, we, we just talked about the texture of the thing. <laughs> but Vegemite is a fermented yeast spread that is uh, pretty much a national institution. Put it on your toast. In Australia. Kraft makes a, a brand of Vegemite. Do they really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Some people love it uh, and can't start the day without it on a piece of toast. Um, some go as far, I guess, in Australia as to carry a small jar of it with them when they travel anywhere, especially overseas. Um, and some are indifferent to it. Others can't stand it. It, it kind of resembles smooth black tar is how it's described here. I mean, it, it, they use like we would use peanut butter kind of, okay. I think. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. The, in, when I looked it up, it said uh, it, it, it's similar in taste to English Marmite, uh, but the Aussies, they, they, they will tell you that Vegemite is far superior. I don't, I don't even know what Marmite is. I'm showing my ignorance here. That, those are the words I looked up for you. So I don't know if there are others that you still don't know. But yeah. um, Men at Work, they hit it big in the summer of 82 and, and through the next year. They had five top 40 singles. Uh, in addition to this, they had Who Can It Be Now um, from the same album business as usual. Then they had Overkill, It's a Mistake, and Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive. Um, the, the next three came from Cargo, which was their second album. Uh, they voted all the way to number one on the American charts um, the two singles from Business as Usual. But really, this is another example. The band, they, they put out three albums um, and, and just internal strife, much like the Go-Go's, they, they, they were broken up about four years at, four years later. The band was just... Yeah, gone. I think one of the members became a science teacher, high school science teacher after that. Did he really? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Didn't yeah, know that. Dark Horse off the first record was uh, Johnny Be Good. Yeah. Um, and or be good Johnny, be good Johnny, be good Johnny, be good Johnny. And yeah. the second one, it's a mistake, which was that a great video yeah. uh, for that. Colin, Colin Hay had such a great personality, and yeah. he really, I mean, he's kind of like reminds me of Ray Davies from from the Kinks yeah. in his videos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great comparison. When and he he's gone on to have a very successful solo career. Yeah, just not um, in America, just not in America. <laughs> um, but this is a song uh, down under that is as a solo artist, he has revisited this song time and time and time again um, and this one he said is just very personal to him and, and there are a number of very different uh, versions of it especially the acoustic versions that he's done as a solo artist so I, I just felt uh, you can't do 82 and not include I agree work. great so. choice great choice alright getting down to my fifth choice here and this is from an artist I don't particularly care for but this song is just a masterful stroke of pop music, writing, production, performance. And that is Eddie Money's I Think I'm In Love.
And that song, it came from the album No Control. Uh, it went to number 16. Um, Eddie Money, of course, had um, the string of hits in the, in the late 70s. This was kind of a, maybe a little comeback for him. The biggest was um, Two Tickets to Paradise, right? And That was the 80s. Was it? I'm pretty sure it was the 80s. I thought it was late 70s. No, but. I think it's the 80s. Um, the sev- his biggest in the 70s, I think, was probably his... And I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think it was probably his debut single. It was uh, "Baby Hold On." Baby Hold On, yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, but this one, and if, again, MTV comes into play for so many of these songs. Do you remember? It was black and white. It was a vampire theme, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's that one part of the song where he kind of goes off vocally, and it's the time where he gets bit in the video. It was all ridiculous, but I loved it right. as yeah. a kid. But uh, going back and listening to this song, I'm like, man, I still love this song. Um, <clears throat> in Especially ending, like he threads this quasi singing rant. That's what I was referring to when he gets bit. So he's kind of like going on and on. It, it's hard to describe without listening to the song, but it's it's a nice moment. Um, but unfortunately, Mr. Money passed away in 2019. Yes, he did. Of esophag- esophageal. Am I pronouncing that right? It's the esophagus. How do you esophag- how do you esophag- pronounce the adjective form of that? I esophageal. Think you, I think you got it right. Esophageal. I don't know. Whatever. Cancer of the throat or the esophagus. He was a heavy smoker. Yeah. And unfortunately, he succumbed to that disease. But um, yeah, I just when when I think of early '80s pop music, this this would be a perfect example. See, this is one. This is way, this was way off my radar. Really? I, yeah. I am. Um, I remember the video. It. I loved. I loved the monster presence and it with the vampire. And another one that I loved. Do you remember Telephone, Long Distance Love Affair by uh, Sheena Easton? Yeah. Where she's trying to get through to her lover, and all the classic Universal movie monsters are like trying to kidnap her through the whole thing. I loved that one too. And I, I just, again, a horror junkie. But Eddie Money. I'm like you. I. I know there are people that love him and they rate him as one of the great classic rockers. I just, he, he never, I don't just, I don't change the channel, you know, back in the days when I actually listened to radio. Now I kind of pick and choose what I want when I want it. It's a very different world. But, you know, listening to like classic rock stations, I never changed the channel when money came on, but I, I never really cared for him either. Two Tickets to Paradise, 1977. It was 70s. Yep. Why was I thinking that was the 80s? Hmm. 1977. He had well, he had a couple of hits though in the 80s. Still, I think know? after this, I think this was kind of his was this was this his comeback? Yeah, I stand corrected. Yeah, because then he had, of course, the one with um, with, with Ryan uh, Spector. Yeah, Ronnie, um, which was uh, "Take Me Home Tonight." Right, "Take Me Home Tonight." That that was definitely the 80s. I know. Yeah. Oh that, yeah. That was yeah. definitely. Um, two tickets to Paris. Okay, I stand corrected. I thought it was an 80s, early 80s hit. Um, but yeah, I. I just never, he never did it for me, you know? I just... And then me either, it's just the song. So yeah. if you take this song and like, like uh, Hold On Loosely, um, or Caught Up In You, Lover Boy, any of those, those types of songs take me back to that early 80s time. They just had that unique sound. They didn't necessarily age well in terms of music, like they sound somewhat dated, but I love that sound. Well, Hang On Loosely, that wasn't any money, was it? No, no, I'm talking about, I mentioned 38 Special, I'm just Loverboy, oh, oh, I'm naming just a oh, bunch oh, of I, I gotcha. bands okay. from that era Sorry. That, that really encapsulate early 80s, Yeah. but kind of stayed there. Like, we don't look back at Hold On Loosely, or Caught Up In You, which we talked about last episode, and, and say, oh, look, yeah, that's a song that transcends time. Right. Yeah. But it's a song that feels like the early 80s. Lover, well, Lover, Lover Boy. Lover Boy. Although, working for the Weekend. Working for the Weekend. There's another one. Fits. Yeah. In fact, I'm surprised that has not been a popular, a popular cultural mainstay. Right. You know, I mean, I, I would think, you know, we've been working for the Weekend since, you know, for 40 years. Right. I, I, that's one that I'm really surprised just died. Um no, it's a, it's a great. But point. that's 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 where this falls, right? Yeah. That's why I love this. Song. I see it. Yeah. Um, no, it, it 
it was just a really interesting choice to me. I I do enjoy the song. I, I just yeah have nothing more to say. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about that. Um, my next pick. This one is the biggest biggest of the the twelve. Um, it was number one. I don't mean necessarily it was the biggest hit. I just mean this is the artist of all twelve of the artists that I have pulled. Uh, this duo is one that everybody knows. This is as close to not obscure as I can get. Uh, it's Hall and Oates. It's from the album H2O. It was a number one uh, smash hit. It's called Maneater. have a soft spot for Hall & Oates. I love Hall & Oates. Oh, they were great. They, they I, were pop, but they were the real deal, man. They, they were. And I, you know, I, you know, when I see that they are touring, I mean, I'll, I'll go see Hall & Oates still today. I, I just, I love Hall & Oates. I always have. And Daryl Hall, you know, his, uh, what's the name of his show where he brings Daryl's House? Daryl's House. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, it is such a thrill just to watch him as he's bringing in, you know, newer artists or, or, or older artists and he's, he's talking, you know, music with them. I, that to me is just, I, I don't know. I, I, I love Hall & Oates. So I needed to include it. And if you're going to include Hall & Oates from 82, I mean, H2O had a number of hits, but Maneater is the one to go. Well, One on One was on that album. One on One. Was Private Eyes or was that the previ- album um, previous? But yeah, there was a ton yeah, of Yeah, th- there was. Uh, All those albums kind of came, led together because they just seemed to release them one after another and they were just hit after hit. Yeah, H2O. Family in, Man. Yeah, it, uh, H2O included. Let me see. Um, man Eater, One on One, Family Man. Um, Guessing Games was a single. I guess that's it. Okay. I, I thought Private Eyes was on this one too. Um, that That's probably on the previous album with Kiss on my list um, but but nonetheless uh, I went with Band Eater and th- the song 
I mean, you want to talk about your femme fatales. You know, this is up there with Easy Lover is another example. That it's one of those songs that, you know, it just there's a there's a woman that you need to steer clear from, and you know, men do not. Wasn't wasn't there an actual not, leopard in the video? Uh, Panther. Panther. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, men do not heed the warning because you know this woman is all that. Um, yeah, it's it's a very seductive woman with expensive taste, and she uses men to satisfy those tastes. Um, much like the line, her mind is Tiffany twisted uh, in the Eagle Song Hotel California. Mm-hmm. The lyrics to this one, they also use a luxury brand uh, to develop characters. She is described as a she-cat uh, tamed by the purr of a jaguar. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this this was a showcase song for Hall & Oates, uh, sax player, Charles, Mr. Casual to chant. Uh, he appears in the video during his solo. Uh, the song spent four weeks at number one, in America, making it the biggest U.S. hit of the 80s to feature a sax solo, which I did not know. Um, yeah, sax solos were big in the 80s. Oh, they were everywhere. Yeah, they were <laughs> everywhere. I mean, we already had the, the big one with Quarter Flash. But see, um, Quarter Flash to me fits with that, the whole thing they were doing. Sometimes I felt like it was just yeah. an unnecessary, obligatory 80s yeah, thing. Yeah, it really was. It was every song, yeah. Um, and I don't mind a sax if it's done well and it's hard like careless whisper it it belongs yeah Um, I'm trying to think of an example where it doesn't but every so often I listen and I'm just like uh, they could have done without the sax here yeah without question Um, but but this is one of several Hall & Oates songs that Daryl Hall's longtime girlfriend Sarah Allen had a hand in writing Um, she's credited on the track uh, the same Sarah from Sarah Smiles yes Um, and and according to Hall uh, his original lyric had some additional words in the chorus after she's a man-eater. Alan is the one that convinced him to end the line there, uh, which which Hall says made made the song really come together. And according to, 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 to Hall, writing songs with Alan was never a problem, even though they were romantically involved. Um, he, he said she was really good at jumping into his thoughts and helping him to sort of coalesce them. Um, yeah, Sarah Smiles... Um, yeah, and the, the two of them, they, they had a very long relationship, very much in love. They did break up eventually, but she she had a hand in, in writing so many of Hall & Oates' songs. The video for this song uh, was another disjointed affair, uh, typical of 82, as we said. Uh, it was in the days of M- earliest days of MTV. Hall & Oates, they, they took little interest in their videos early on, so directors kind of uh, hired by their record company would, would come in and do just about anything. Maneater is mostly tight shots of the band performing in what looks like an after-hours champagne room with occasional shots of a girl juxtaposed with a panther. And uh, Hall has basically said that, you know, somebody decided that the Maneater video needed, you know, the actual panther, um, a man-eating animal in the video. He said it appeared for a second and a half in the video and it cost well over (laughs) $10,000. And he, he said that, uh, for most of the shoot, the panther was leashed to the floor, but at one point, it got loose and started roaming the rafters. And and Hall said that is when uh, he and uh, Oates left and did, did not return. <laughs> Imagine so. So, um, yeah, this this still endures as one of the most popular songs by the duo. It's it's very Great bass line. Oh, that bass yeah. line that starts the song. Yeah, yeah mm. it's 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 often very often it's the first song they play. In concerts, it's as I said. This one is not obscure, but I just oh, I love love Manny. And the sax belongs in this one. It does, definitely. It does. And yeah, biggest biggest uh, hit of the '80s to feature a sax solo. So. Nice. 
All right, that takes me to my last one. Yes, and sir. Uh, why not end with a great Mr. Uh, Sir Paul McCartney? This was one that my wife did not recognize. My Yeah, I, I played through and, and Gail didn't recognize it either. Yeah. So. Um, it's Take It Away, and uh, it went to number 10. It was off his album, Tug of War. And it begins with a nice little reggae opening. Does. And um, I guess the reason for that was uh, Linda was a huge reggae fan. And so he wanted to incorporate a little reggae into a song for her. Huh. That's cool. Yeah, isn't that kind of cool? So, yeah, obviously, Sir Paul continued his successful solo career after the Beatles. Um, you know, he the first album, which was McCartney, after he left the Beatles, he recorded all the instruments on his own and released that. And then he went on to form Wings and, of course, worked with Linda and just all sorts of string of hits throughout the 70s. And this is kind of his first break in, I think, might have been his first. He might have had something in 1980. He did a little disco thing like so many of them did. Um, what was the one disco hit he had? Um, uh I can hear it in my head. Yeah. Look it up. No, it's going to bother me. Oh, well. Yes, leave it alone, Dave. Go on. But this really, I think, kind of launched his his 80s career because you're going to have Say, Say, Say and, of course, Ebony and Ivory, which was also the two, I think. Yeah, or is it the same album? Yeah, Ebony and Ivory is on the same album as this one. Um, the video features Ringo Starr, like I talked about. They bring back their old mates, you know, Ringo Starr. John Hurt um, plays the, the video. The story is about, a, I believe it's like a manager, Brian Epstein-type manager who's trying to get the, this band going. And Sir George Martin also appears in the Does video. I, I do not remember the video for this one at all. Yeah. I, yeah. Not at all. Um, in fact, I, I, I knew the song. I know, I know McCartney's discography, but I, I can't remember the last time I had heard this song. Honestly, yeah. it has been forever. And that was the point, because I want to reintroduce well, people yeah, to and it. I, and I get especially that. Especially the middle eight of yeah, the song I love. No, totally get it. Um, yeah, I'm going to look it up now, because I have to figure out what the name of that the song disco was. Tune. So, um, yeah, I'm going to look it up here. You know, it, everybody knows it. Oh, uh, Good Night Tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I couldn't even... I just 
couldn't place what song you were trying to describe. Yeah, good night tonight. I um, you know, McCartney in the eighties. I don't know. I so much of his work felt uneven to me. I um, I, I much prefer seventies McCartney to to eighties McCartney. I did love. Uh, oh, what was the album? It had My Brave Face and this one. Is that Flowers in the Dirt? Fla- Thank you. Was it okay? Yeah. Now that that album, it was it was later eighties. I, I loved that album, but um, you had the two the two uh, duets with Michael Jackson. But but he had that stretch. I mean, he had Give My Regards to Broad Street, which was, you know, it was what it was. But he, he had a stretch in the mid-'80s where I just, I lost all interest in McCartney. I, I was not a fan of the what he produced. But then then he would come back and he'd, he'd have a killer album. He's been like that his entire solo career, though. He's been very, for me, very uneven. Yeah, I mean, he had the, the movie, uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street, yeah. with No More Lonely Nights, which is a yeah. great song. But then he did the uh, Spies Like Us, which was not a great song. Well, no, not at all. Um, and, you know, I think it's a lot like, he's a lot like Neil Young in the way that he's produced so much stuff and people respect him because of who he is. But a lot of people just don't listen to the record. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really good late later Paul McCartney stuff that if you didn't know, if just put it on random, put all his discography on random, and you'd be like, wow, this is a great song. And you find out it's from one of his later 2000s records. Um, in fact, he contributed a song to the um, Cameron Crowe movie, uh, Vanilla Sky. I think the song is called Vanilla Sky. Was it? So good. Yes, I'm, great song. He wrote it for the movie. I'm drawing a blank on yeah, that one. No, check that one. We'll we'll put that on our our list. Yeah, on our yeah. Alternatives. Well, and you know, I, I remember the memes a few years ago uh, when when people were, uh, were joking that you know Kanye introduced a new oh. artist, <laughs> introduced the new artist Paul McCartney. I, yeah, and um, Kanye, man, what is going on with him? Have you been? hearing about what he's doing uh what's he doing he now? well he I know uh, he was stalking his yeah yeah he's he, he and uh uh why am i drawing a blank on her name i'm kardashian uh, thank you yeah. kim i I'm, i can't remember a damn thing for this episode i swear it uh <laughs> but yeah not only has he been stalking mean, he's he he's like broken restraining orders and he's he's just getting real scary he's um, always been crazy but he's well, getting he crazier has. But I um. But we had an awesome opportunity to see Sir Paul play at the Rock Hall, the same Rock Hall performance where we saw the Go Go's, and he uh, sang "Get Back" with Dave Grohl and yeah, the Fighters. Did. It was awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it, that was that was a great night when we went to the. I, I look forward to doing that again in three years when it comes back to Cleveland. It used to be every other year, but now they're adding LA back to the mix, so it's going to be New York, LA, Cleveland in a three-year cycle. So, just hope that. A lot of the bands that have been snubbed for so long are snubbed until they return to Cleveland because I want to see some of them. But um, no, it was great. I loved going to that induction ceremony. And Taylor, just Taylor Swift, I mean, inducting Carol King. I mean, oh. that, that was, I, I have so much respect for T- Taylor Swift now. I used to scoff at her all the time. And now it's like, I think she's, I think she's incredible. I think she's, the voice of our generation without question. The highlight of the show, you'll be surprised what I thought the highlight of the show was. Highlight. Um, Vocally, I just was blown away. I don't think I've ever been as blown away by a live vocal performance as I was during this number. Hmm. Um, well, Jennifer Hudson really... Yes, Jennifer yeah, Hudson she, singing You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Yeah, woman. I was going to say, she incredible. was just... Yeah, that was amazing. Um, whole other level just crazy. The Go-Go's did not sound as good as I wanted them to. They, they start off a little shaky. 
they got stronger and they got stronger yeah um and of course I, you know everlong sounded perfectly fine foo fighters and wow losing yes yeah uh, that was that was really really harsh a few weeks ago when uh taylor hawkins, taylor hawkins passed, passed. Yep. and he and grower so close i mean I have to imagine Dave Grohl. It was like losing Cobain again. Well, and the story too, because he was he was not the original drummer. He was kind of a fan. They found his way into the band. It was yeah. just such a cool story. Yeah. So, yeah, no idea what's going to happen with the Foo Fighters. There, how do you replace your best friend? You know. Yep. All right, that takes me to my last pick. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, and then we are done with episode two uh, in the vault. Um, my last song. I thought it was a perfectly appropriate way to to end our our first two-episode uh, topic. Or, or, how, do, how, do, how do you say that? A our dual first, episode? I don't know. I thought it was the perfect way to end our, our first dual episode uh, on our return to season three. I'm going to end with Goodbye to You, which is by Scandal featuring Patti Smith. just uh, two major hits as well I think they had this and then they had Warrior those were the two yeah right um, Scandal though it was not I was pronounced as Smythe is it Smith is it Smythe well because Patty Smith is Patty Smith yeah, yeah there's two maybe it is Smythe it's a it's spelled with a Y I always pronounce as Smythe just to you know distinguish between the two I don't know very well might be I, I'm showing my ignorance on that one um, Goodbye to You it, it, it hit number one on the um, Billboard rock charts it did not hit the Hot 100. It, it actually it it peaked at number 65. So, I said I had one like you that did not chart. This this would be the and other. the Scorpions one. I don't know if I mentioned it, it did go to 65. What did you say your chart? Went? 65. That's weird because the Scorpions really? one was 65 same, as well. Same number. That's, yeah, that is weird. Um, well, Patty Smythe. I mean, she grew up in the Brooklyn neighborhood of Garrettson Beach. Uh, she joined Scandal as a lead vocalist in '81. The band released uh, their self-titled uh, debut EP. Uh, the next year, which is again scandal. That's where "Goodbye to You" comes from. Um, the the EP went on to become the biggest selling EP in the history of Columbia Records on the strength of "Goodbye to You." So in '84, they put out their follow up, uh, the long playing album "Warrior," and buoyed by by MTV airplay, that that album peaked at number 17 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. 
and and the first song off the release, the self-titled Warrior, was a top ten hit um, on the Hot 100. However, despite their success, internal strife within the band again led to their breakup soon afterwards. So, much like the Go Go's and much like uh, Men, at, Men at Work, I mean, it's again another example where you had this this very promising early '80s venture that just kind of imploded. Um, this was written, the song was written by Scandal guitarist Zach Smith, no relation, uh, he spells his name S-M-I-T-H. Uh, it's a breakup song where Patty Smythe, you, you think it is? I think, I don't um, know for sure. Where Patty Smythe, I'm gonna, just going to call her Patty, Patty sings about moving on from a relationship. Smith wrote most of Scandal's songs while Smythe, Patty, fronted the group, uh, moving on to a successful solo career in the 90s. She also, uh, she eventually married retired tennis star John McEnroe. Oh, really? Yeah, That's she's married to John McEnroe. Interesting factoid. Um, Patty Smythe, she, she credits MTV for this song's success. I uh, did not get much radio play at the at the time, but the video got a lot of spins on the network. And the video was a typical low-budget performance video. Um, she was easy on the eyes, though, and MTV was really hankering for American rock acts, especially the females. And, and that's why Pat Benatar was so prolific and, and Debbie Harry, Blondie, had such a presence on MTV. Um, the video, though, some things about this I never knew. The video shows uh, Patti Smythe in a bright red dress singing the lyrics to, to various members of the band, okay? And scandal keyboardist Benji King, he's shown playing a, a rare digital keyboard synergy synthesizer, which provided the, the main eighth note foundation of the track. But here's what I never knew about this song. And I went back and I listened and I was like, wow, it's so obvious. And I never picked up on it. He's not shown in the video, but the song features Late Show with David Letterman's band leader and sidekick Paul Schaefer. Hmm. He actually plays a solo on this song and the solo is literally lifted from Del Shannon's Runaway. Interesting. Yeah, right in the middle of the song, you can hear Runaway. By Del- and I had never heard that before. Huh. It blew me away. Um uh, goodbye to you. Um, like I said, huge hit on the album Rock Playlist. Um, not so much on the Hot 100. Following the end of Scandal, uh, I did not know this either. Uh, Patti Smythe was invited by her friend Eddie Van Halen to join Van Halen to replace David Lee Roth. Interesting. Did you know that? No. We almost never. There was almost never a Van Hagar. I mean, it literally, huh. he wanted Patti Smythe to be the... the that would have been a cool change. It would have. Yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine what that would have sounded like. However, she declined the offer. She was eight months pregnant. And although she was friends with, with Eddie Van Halen, she said it just wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right fit. She was a New Yorker. She didn't want to go to live in L.A. And she said, frankly, those guys were drunk all the time and fighting all the time. Oh, yeah. We and know she that. wanted no part in it. So, yeah, we almost had a... Van Scandal <laughs> instead of a Van Hagar. I, I don't know. I, I but I think about her voice with Eddie's guitar, and I think that would have been a dynamite combination. I, I can't even. I wonder if she ever performed. It would be cool to hear a recording, maybe live at some point, where she's I don't, I don't set know. in. That would have been really, really cool. But yeah, I had never known that she she was asked to be the the follow up to David Lee Roth when he departed. So very cool. That's it. Well, I guess we need to make our our mixtape then. We need to arrange our songs. We do. So we will be right back after this. And we're back, and we have a mixtape for you. We do, and it is a pretty killer 
mix, honestly. Um, this is 1982, folks. Uh, we begin with Kids in America by Kim Wilde. Then that leads into Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. Goody Two Shoes by Adam Ant. Into I Don't Care Anymore by Phil Collins. Dirty Laundry by Don Henley. Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks. Caught Up in You by 38 Special. Followed by Think I'm in Love by Eddie Money. Heat of the Moment by Asia. No One Like You by The Scorpions. Shadows of the Night by Pat Benatar. And we end Side A with Harden My Heart by Quarter Flash. I want to listen to that right now. <laughs> and then uh, Side B, we begin with Empty Garden, Hey Hey Johnny by Elton John. And that leads into Eye in the Sky by the Alan Parsons Project. I Keep Forgetting Every Time You're Near by Michael McDonald. Time, Clock of the Heart by Culture Club. Only the Lonely by The Motels. Then The Look of Love, Part 1 by ABC. Down Under by Men at Work. The vac- uh, Vacation by The Go-Go's. Take It Away by Paul McCartney. Followed by IGY by Donald Fagan. Maneater by Daryl Hall and John Oates. And... Common Sense, we end Side B with Goodbye to You by Scandal featuring Patty Smythe. Smythe. We'll go with Smythe. We'll go Smythe. Um, that is our first mixtape of season three. I say this a lot, but this may be one of my favorite <laughs> I, 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 mixtapes. It, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to giving it a listen without question. I mean, it's just, it it, it is going to take, if, if you, uh, you know, if you're Gen X and you grew up, you are an 80s kid uh, or, or, uh, at the very least, you you maybe college or started your adult life in the early '80s. This um, this is going to bring back memories. It really, really is. What are we going to call it? Oh yeah, we have to figure that out, don't we? You know, I was thinking because it was still on the charts in '82. We didn't use it, but I was trying to think of something that's just general. And I thought, what if we call it? Uh, we got the beat. Yeah, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's, that's good. Let's do it. It's a very generalized idea. Um, all right, so we got the beat. There you go. First mixtape back for season three, 1982. Next week, we are going to bring you Hot. It will be a hot mixtape. You should have saved Centerfold for that one. Well, yeah, I could have. <laughs> could have. Um, and... What does hot mean in that context? Well, you have to tune in next week. I'm not sure that we know. <laughs> well, just, I mean, I th- we're going to interpret it and have fun with it. We were so. kind of playing with the idea that summer, we're on the cusp of summer, right? Yes. And it's going to start getting hot. Yes. So we might as well explore that. Yep. So it could be could be the weather, could be uh, sexual attraction, it could be, you know, an arsonist, you know, just the love of playing with fire. I don't know where we're going. Um, maybe probably all of the above. But the question is, will we include Buster Poindexter? <laughs> I plan to. Oh, okay. There How you can go. you not include Buster? There you Boyle? go. Where's, there's a preview. Oh, hell yes! I'm including Buster <laughs> When else am I ever going to have an opportunity to do that on this? Uh, and there's another song called podcast. "Hot Hot Hot" that I might include. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, so many. It's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun mix. So, it is going to be a hot mixtape that we bring to you next week. That's all I got. That's I, all I have. Yeah. It's. I, well, it's good to be back. It, it really is. is. And hopefully we have a good summer. Everyone have an opportunity to travel and see a lot of live bands. I read an article that said there are so many bands now that have launched tours. You know, think about it, before, tours were staggered. But so many bands now have been off for so long that everybody's launched at the same time. I, I have tickets for so, so many. And it's, it's just, I mean, some I have a few big 
artists. I mean, you and I are seeing a few together. It's it's going to be a big summer for live music. Yep. Yeah, and it's just unbelievable. So looking yeah, forward to good it. Good to be back in many senses of the word. Oh yes. All right. Well, that's all for this week. Hot Funk, Cool Punk. Even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. <laughs>